It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. We are a tower of tenacity in 2021, and we are here to help you get prepared medically. Yes. I'm Joe Walton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, and I'm here with... Nurse Amy. Nurse Amy. (laughs) Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together, we're the founders of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find, gosh... Over 1,300 articles, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. We're going to be talking about some controversial subjects today, but most of our shows are going to be really about true survival medicine. You know, what what if a loved one's sick or injured and the ambulance is heading in the other direction or just can't see the rescue helicopter on the horizon? We are here to discuss medical issues when there is no functioning medical infrastructure. I think you said that pretty well. Well, thank you very much. Explain that. I think it's... easily understood (laughs) you know we talk about medical conventional wisdom and we talk sort of outside the medical conventional wisdom too but even though we're retired we have active medical licenses and we'd like to keep them and so you (laughs) should listen to this absolutely all information and opinions voiced on the survival medicine podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to use standard and modern medicine whenever and wherever it is available. True that. Well, we recently passed the one-year anniversary of my January 7th article, 2020, in which I talked about a strange new pneumonia. Matter of fact, it was called a new pneumonia. It was the article. There was a mention of an art of a pneumonia that was popping up in a place called Wuhan, China, and had sickened a total of 60, count them, 60 people in that area. That's what we do. We sort of watch and look for things on the horizon that may turn out to be a problem. I guess I don't have to tell you what's happened since then. As a matter of fact, December 2020 was the deadliest month, uh, according to statistics, national statistics, in terms of the number of cases and the number of deaths that we've had. And it seems to be going up and up and up. If you look at the graphs, I mean, they tell a pretty scary story. I mean, it's just basically going straight up Although for our audience, Mm -hmm. it's going like that. That's right. There were nearly (laughs) 78,000 deaths last month from coronavirus, or at least with coronavirus as a cause of death on the death certificate. On the death certificate, right. Let's, Let's say that. Yeah. And health officials are telling us to expect even more in January, even though we were rolling out, beginning to roll out vaccines and all all that. The Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, what a name, basically has told us that his country is in the midst of a major apparent new strain of the COVID that's even more transmissible than COVID itself. Which 70% more, more more transmissible. transmissible. And, and COVID is a lot more transmissible than influenza. Right. The, the regular COVID. Right. So it's figured out how to go from person to person even more than it already did. And it and it's turned up in the US and a lot of different places, it's even here. among it's people in Florida. And among people that haven't been traveling. So that I think is an important strange. thing to say. It's been Very around strange. a while or it's 
another you know what it might just be another mutation that is very similar to this one okay that's the thing and why are all these mutations out there because the coronavirus is a SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus and RNA viruses are notoriously bad at replicating themselves they don't do it correctly very often. So what I would call them is a bad photocopier. They Right. So if you wanted to photocopy a piece of paper, um, it might come out a little cockeyed most of the time. They're just not good at making perfect copies. And that's what they do. They get into your cells, your cells, they invade, and then they turn your cells into a little manufacturing production. And they're spitting out copies, except those copies of, of the virus are not perfect. Some of them change it and make it more transmittable. Some of them change it and don't do anything to it or make it worse. So those copies are not always improving. They're just random changes. This this virus is making random changes. And I think it doesn't think itself, but I think the purpose of that is that so it can find more hosts more easily. And so I think that is the purpose of miscopying itself to make itself better. Right. And figuring out that one in a million times that that mutation may actually make it more infectious right. or may make it more deadly or, or actually less deadly would be better for a virus, right? Because you wouldn't kill exactly. the host. Exactly. You, you could last longer in your host. If you're in your host longer, right. then you have a, a higher chance of spreading yourself. So exactly. I don't think that the goal of the virus, although, and again, I mean, this thing doesn't have a brain, is to kill the host that it's in. I think if that mutation occurs... Um, just like the other mutations, it's an accident. It's a counterproductive thing for a virus, exactly. I, I think. Exactly. Now, I'll tell you, if human beings did this kind of thing, we would be a pretty diverse society. We're a diverse society as it is in the U.S., but we would be so diverse that we were having people walking around with five arms and yeah. three legs yeah. and two heads pointing different Mis directions. If we miscopied ourselves that frequently. It would be pretty... Crazy. Would you love me if I had an arm sticking out of my head? I would love you. <laughs> and then you'll be able to reach things I might not be able to. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there See, you go. See? it's getting to think of these things as a positive. Well, anyhow, I want to talk about some statistics here. I've got, I got it down here. Uh, over the past week, there were an average of 260,000 cases per day, including yesterday was uh, 300,000 cases. That's an increase of 40% over the previous two weeks. Uh, more than 18,400 died from COVID or at least had it on the death certificate in the week ending January 3rd. And uh, that's a total of 352, I think, thousand deaths uh, or one in every 930 U.S. residents. It's pretty kooky. And this is all, all according to the COVID tracking project, which has, has a lot of interesting information, doesn't always agree mm -hmm. with state reports and things like that. And there are a lot of problems with reporting because you just don't know what you're going to get. So, uh, some states may report very mild cases. Other states may not. Right. Uh, they may report tests better or worse. Alaska right. and Alabama may be different in terms of, you know, how they report things. So I think it's hard to get a handle sometimes on these statistics. Let uh, me, people me, don't know that. Let me mention one more thing. Um, we also have an issue with testing. These COVID tests are not perfect. So you may have COVID, go get a test, 
and you get a text message or a phone call or an email from the person the provider who did it and says oh you don't have covid but you have covid or you have a cold or possibly the flu and you go get a covid test because you're not sure what's going on and they tell you you have covid but you don't so these tests are not perfect i actually spoke to somebody the other day um, a customer and he told me he has regular bouts of bronchitis he's an older man i think he's and he said he was uh, 80 or 79. And he's been having this for a long time. He knows the symptoms, but he called his doctor and said, I have bronchitis. And he said, well, you know, let's just give you a COVID test. They did, and it was positive. But he wasn't having the typical symptoms of COVID, the loss of smell and the other things. He was having his normal bronchitis that he knew. And his wife was bugging him and bugging him. He said, this is his words. <laughs> you don't have COVID. You don't have COVID. So he went and got another test. Two days later, it was negative. So did, did he have it or not? He, wow. he And then he called his doctor and said, hey, you know, I got a positive. I got a negative. I don't know what to do. The doctor said, listen, just quarantine for a few more days because he had moved into the basement. He called, right. it, he called it his man cave. So I don't think he was terribly <laughs> depressed about doing that. <laughs> Because I had to move into the man cave, so he he must have it decked out. I want a man cave. No, well, you you can. Good luck digging one. <laughs> We're in Florida. There's water about six inches below this house. Cool. Yes. Uh, so you know, did he have it or not? I think this might be happening to a lot of people who go get tests. Who you know just say, oh well, I need to get a test. I was exposed, and then they're told they have COVID. They don't have any symptoms. And maybe that test is wrong. So I just don't know what to believe anymore. That's the thing. We need better tests. I'll they tell say you to that. follow the science. They tell us to shut up and follow the science. But <laughs> I'll tell you, sometimes it's hard to if figure science, out right. what's real science, if what's science the truth, is not what is right. Exactly, for sure. Hey, meanwhile, so I that just, was just a story I wanted to yeah, share, and I appreciate it. Meanwhile, we re- we want to report for the first time. That India, this, the country of India, is seeing an epidemic of bird flu popping up. Yeah. And it's causing hundreds of thousands of their livestock to have to be culled so that they don't wind up uh, infecting humans. Now, the type of influenza virus that is coming around is called H5N1. Also, there's another one, H5N8. And one seems to be affecting the southern part of the country. Other seem to, the other one... The northern part of the country. Spreading elsewhere. And it's affecting all sorts of their wildfowl, waterfowl like geese and Which are migrating currently. Right, right. So they're moving. To different places, exactly, and and causing a lot of, thousands of deaths. I mean, you're seeing a bunch of dead geese around there and dead crows even. I saw pictures. Right. It was horrible what they had to pick up. And knowing that this has a pretty high death rate, I think it's 60%. Yeah. At least the... H5N1 has a 60% death rate. Yes. It, for the few people that in the past it has actually infected had a 60% death rate. Um, but I saw them picking up, I think it was geese that had died. It was like a, thousands of them just everywhere. So herons and geese and all sorts of stuff like that is causing them to have to take their food producing livestock and kill them. And I'll tell you, that's not a good thing in a country like India, which could use all the food it can get. I mean, right. it's got 1.4 billion people in and that so, country. And so just to finish that, I just wanted to say that there, I saw them picking them up 
and knowing that there's a high death rate, they weren't wearing any kind of mask or facial covering, no shield. He didn't have any kind of gear on. Um, I did see some pictures with people with gear on because obviously they had it. But this guy looked like he had a pair of just latex gloves on. That was it. That was his total protection. And they say that these uh, dead animals can transmit the virus, this H5N1 or the H5N8, even though they're dead. So he's up there picking up geese and, you know, he could get it. Yeah. I mean, these people need to take better precautions. It's unfortunate. Most likely, they just don't have it. They don't have the gear. The gear right. is in a worldwide shortage. Right. We still are having problems getting masks. Oh. Right? And yes. For our kids, we have enough again, right, right at the present again. time, but it's starting to get I bad do. again. Actually, we donated some of our stuff in the past, so yep. <laughs> maybe we had it again. But I wanted to mention a couple of things. I noticed that on our new MeWe group, that there are a number of people that are coming onto the group that have not heard of us before. I just want to say that we are the co-authors of a pretty popular book called The Survival Medicine Handbook. It's now in its third edition. We're beginning to work on the fourth edition, as a matter of fact, which is going to be even bigger. But that's what we do. We also have uh, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease and Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide. These are just some of the books that we've come up with. We had a, a really... A uh, popular book uh, called the Ebola Survival Handbook. That was during the Ebola crisis, and we sort of keep track of these infections and the epidemics em. as they come around. Yep. And this Indian one is, I guess, more proof of that. So, anyhow, we are in the part of the year where colds and flus usually take center stage. You know, it's not the case in 2021 with COVID around, but you still hear people say things like, "Don't go outside without a coat; you'll catch a cold." Mm -hmm. Well. Some people equate, well, not being dressed enough or warmly enough with catching colds. But I want to tell you guys out there that it's, although it's true that not dressing warm is a bad thing, but it's mostly due to getting hypothermia. Right. Not, and that's something we'll talk about in the near future, much more than respiratory infections. Right. So being cold isn't why you get a cold, uh, but it is true that cold weather makes it easier to get the cold or flu. Now, why is that? Many viruses actually like cold weather. They reproduce faster. And they are able to be a little more sturdy or more hardy in right. cold weather. Rhinovirus, which is the most common cause of the cold, and believe it or not, coronaviruses, but not this coronavirus, not SARS-CoV-2, but four different coronaviruses make up about 20% of all common colds, and they don't even get a name. They just have numbers. So these viruses remain infectious longer and seem to reproduce faster in colder temperatures. And that's one reason why these viruses spread more easily in winter. It's not just the cold in the winter air that causes a problem. The dryness of the air that you get in winter, well, that is also linked to things like flu outbreaks. Because cold weather dries out and causes tiny breaks in your nasal lining, the inside lining of your nose. And... Well, because viruses that cause colds and flus are typically inhaled, and usually most people breathe through their nose, well, these viruses can attach more easily if the skin of the inner lining of the nose is sort of dried out and maybe skin cracked. Your immune system responds during cold weather, and how it does matters a great deal. Now, some say inhaling this cold air uh, adversely affects the immune system, 
in your respiratory tract. And that makes it easier for viruses to take hold deep inside. Now that's why wearing a scarf over your nose and mouth is pretty important in cold weather, not just to stay warm, but also to help prevent from getting infections, especially if you are in public venues a lot and have to deal with that. Now, of course, in pandemic times, it's another really great reason to wear something over your nose and mouth. How your immune system responds during cold weather also matters a lot. Some say that inhaling cold air actually adversely affects the immune system in your respiratory tract, making it easier for viruses to take hold. I've written about respiratory infections a lot, about them being more common with vitamin D deficiency. This is something that I really have been stressing over the last few months. If you read our our articles, I've done a couple of articles on them. You produce vitamin D through sun exposure, but most people get less sunlight in the winter. Mm -hmm. The the sun doesn't go as high in the sky, right? So 42% of Americans are known to be vitamin D deficient. It's more if you're African American, it's more if you're Hispanic. Uh, now that's a problem because vitamin D is essential for immune system health. It really is. With COVID, folks with high vitamin D levels get severely sick a lot less often than people who have low vitamin D levels. If you have a, a low vitamin D level, your chances of dying are much greater yep. from COVID are much greater than if you had a high level. Now, what's what are what's the normal level? Most people are at about 20 you should be about at least at 30 and preferably between 40 and 60. This is what I would like to see. The thing is, I want people to know that vitamin D tests, it's a simple blood test. It's just like getting a blood count done. And it's something that you might consider asking your doctor so you can see where you are with regards to that. Physical activity, that's another factor in winter. We'll talk about the vitamin D a little bit more later. Uh, physical f- Possibly in another show. Possibly in another show. Possibly in another show. I may have to cut you off. (laughs) Okay, all right. I only have so much recording time. (laughs) I got you. Physical activity, another factor in uh, winter respiratory infections. Most people are less active during the winter, and so they're likely to delay exercise if it's snowing out or if there are icy conditions. You're not going to go on to go jogging if there's a lot of ice on the sidewalk. So instead, people spend a lot more time indoors. That means more close contact with others. This is, I think, the biggest thing that leads to disease spread. Now, respiratory viruses generally spread within about a six-foot radius. That's why they have all this six-foot spacing at supermarkets and and things like that. And when you're inside, unless you happen to live in a castle, you're probably going to be within six feet of another member of your family at one point or another or other other people. So what can you do? Now, This, while being wet and cold doesn't necessarily give you infections and make you sick, there are risks in winter. So here's some strategies I want to just mention. Amy, I think, has a list of them I for I can us. do it, yes. Yeah, do that for me. All right, wash your hands often. Wash your hands properly, too. Sing happy birthday twice. Happy birthday. Okay. Twice, <laughs> Just twice. for timing because you want to, and by the way, make sure you wash between your fingers. Scrubbing like this will rub off what's in between your fingers. If you guys are listening to this, I'm rubbing my hands together with my fingers intertwined. Avoid touching your face. Uh, something people do between 9 and 23 times an hour. I'm sure I've touched my face um, a few times. Stay well hydrated. Drink at least eight glasses of water. It's a good goal. 
Um, it could be more or less depending on your lifestyle and also your weight, me- your weight and medications that you're taking. If you take something that dehydrates you, like a blood pressure pill or a diuretic for blood pressure, you're going to need to hydrate more. If you eat a lot of salty foods, you'll have to drink more water. Uh, Eat a well-balanced diet, speaking of food. Uh, Dark green leafy vegetables rich in immune system supporting vitamins is awesome. Think uh, eggs, fortified milk, salmon, uh, not, not fried fish, but baked fish, tuna, um, all have vitamin D, something you're definitely not getting enough of like you have discussed because of our winter sun. Stay physically active like you were just mentioning. Even during the winter, there's lots of things you can do in your household, folks. Just because it's snowing outside doesn't mean you can't get moving. Um, Think of when you were a kid and what they had you do in the gym. There wasn't a bunch of fancy exercise machines around. We did jumping jacks, we, we touched our toes, we jogged in place, we did things that you can do in your house without, you know, thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And the gyms are mostly closed anyway. Um, frequently clean the hard, often touched surfaces of your home with some something that's antiviral, even if it's just a little bleach in some water, a 10% or a 5% uh, ratio. Viruses can last um, quite a while on hard surfaces, so make sure that you are cleaning them frequently, especially things like door handles, um, sink faucets, things like that. Everything in common areas. Yep, yep, perfect. Uh, If your nose or throat gets dry in the winter, consider using a humidifier. We actually do that ourselves uh, because we take blood pressure medicine. And what does blood pressure medicine do? Dehydrates us, so that's really good for breathing. Uh, Keep up the mass and social distancing just because we're getting vaccinated, just because eventually numbers might start to go down, you can still get flus and colds. So washing your hands, taking respiratory precautions are not a bad idea. Uh, We're probably going to have to keep those masks on. I am personally predicting for at least another two years, sadly. They're giving the vaccine to drive-in stations down here in South Florida. And I'll tell you, the lines are miles long. The funny thing about vaccines is that none of them are 100%. Some recent years, the flu vaccine, for example, has had a protective effect of less than 20% sometimes, oftentimes 70, which is what really they're shooting for. But it just depends on what the virus is. The risk of complications that are severe with Flu virus is about one in a million, which is actually pretty darn low. It looks like it's going to be about one in a hundred thousand with the COVID-19 vaccine. Most people that have it, well, they are pretty much dealing with pain in the arm where they got the injection, discomfort, low-grade fever. These things are considered normal. That means that they may not actually call it an adverse reaction. It does change your life a little bit in the hat. For a day or two or maybe a few days that you may actually have some symptoms that may be flu-like and some pain, of course, in your arm. Now, I know a lot of folks are just plain anti-vaccine, just in general, just on principle, but let me make this prediction. In the future, you're probably not going to be able to travel on some mass transit, some airplanes, some buses or, or trains, certainly not going in and out of the country at will without a mask and without a vaccine. You're not going to be able to work at some jobs. You're not going to be able to visit the old folks in hospitals and nursing homes. You're not going to be able to go to some schools even without proof of vaccination. For some people, there's not going to be a choice. I mean, you're going to wind up having to get the vaccine 
if you want to keep your job or you're going to have to find another job. This is something that I'm not just guessing about. Dr. Anthony Fauci says, I would not be surprised, this is a quote, as we get into the full scope of vaccination that some companies, hospitals, organizations might require COVID vaccination. I'm not sure that it's going to be a mandatory from a central government standpoint, but there are going to be individual institutions that I'm sure are going to mandate it. And everything is on the table for discussion in the upcoming Biden administration, Fauci says. So you might just need to flash your COVID card to get into work uh, or maybe even the supermarket or school. You just don't know. So it may not matter whether you want it or not. You may just have to get it if you're going to keep your body and soul together. If you're counting on herd immunity, well, the truth is that you need 70 to 80 to 90% of the population vaccinated before you get there. That depends on the microbe. But Dr. Fauci here says he thinks it's closer to 90%. And vaccinating that percentage of the population, gosh, it's just, just not going to happen overnight. It could take easily a couple of years, maybe more. Certainly is going to be longer before masks are no longer needed in public venues. I want to just say that you can get COVID even if you get the vaccine. It takes a few weeks to form antibodies and longer before you have enough to be fully protected. So if you get the vaccine and get exposed the following week or so, well, you may still get the infection. So regardless of whether you get the vaccine, you have to wear a mask, you have to social distance, you got to do all that. You also could be vaccinated and give it to somebody. Because although the vaccine does is supposed to protect you from 95% from having any severe cases of COVID, you still might be exposed to it, might wind up with some of it in your nose. You could breathe that out or sneeze that out and wind up infecting somebody else just from virus that managed to just get into your nose. So complicated and problematic. That's all I have to say about it's at least something that might hopefully bring down death rates and, and the number of people that are symptomatic. Now, I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but I have to report this strange case that may be related to the vaccine. It's certainly something that they made the news down here in South Florida because it's from it happened to somebody who's local. It's possible that a previously healthy 56-year-old obstetrician down here in our neck of the woods might have died just two weeks after getting a, the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Dr. Gregory Michael got the vaccine, and three days later, small blood spots began to appear on his face and hands. He went to the emergency room where they diagnosed that he had petechiae. Petechiae are things that occur, they're basically small blood vessels that just break spontaneously in people that have very low blood clotting factors in their system. And sure enough, he had next to none. And that's bad because you can spontaneously bleed if that's the case. That's what was happening with him. He began to do that. Ex experts were brought in from all over the country to try to raise this doctor's uh, platelet count and his blood clotting factors, but they could not do it no matter what. His wife is convinced that it was a vaccine. She wrote that he was conscious and energetic throughout the process, but just days before they were planning some drastic measures, he actually suffered a stroke and died. Now, why did that happen? Well, because without clotting factors, you're bleeding spontaneously, you bleed into your skin. That caused the 
petechiae, the spots on his arms and uh, hands and feet, your urine, pretty much from every orifice, and sure enough, into your brain. That's called a hemorrhagic stroke. It's not the most common kind of stroke, but it's deadly. My father actually died of one after being given too much blood thinner after a heart attack. A report by the CDC basically doesn't know whether it was caused by the vaccine or not. They're doing more studies, and we'll see what happens. So I guess the question, and this is something I've gotten via email, lots of questions about this. What can you do that stops short of doing this that might decrease your chances of getting COVID-19? Now, I can't tell you not to get the vaccine. You should consider getting the vaccine. The CDC wants you to get the vaccine, so you should, because you may not have freedom of movement or be able to work or go to uh, school without it in the end. But there are things that you can do that are inexpensive, safe, widely available, and one of them is vitamin D. I mentioned vitamin D earlier. Uh, Vitamin D insufficiency is associated with an increased risk of getting COVID-19 and also from dying from the disease. So if you you really want to have a good high vitamin D level, then that's something you can check with a simple blood test. You need to have at least a value of about 30, maybe 40 to 60 would be better, honestly. The recommended daily allowance for this vitamin, vitamin D, is only 800 to 1,000 international units. That, I think, is ridiculously low, which is probably why so many people, 42% of Americans, are vitamin deficient. And certainly in northern part of the U.S. and Canada, all of Canada, during winter, you're not getting a ton of vitamin D just from sun exposure. So if you're over 60, if you're African-American, you're Hispanic, obese, these are people that are at high risk for this kind of thing for getting COVID and doing badly if they get it. Vitamin D is not a bad idea. Ask your doctor to check. Uh, Another thing that might help is a combination of two substances, vitamin C, 500 milligrams twice a day, and quercetin, 250 milligrams twice a day. These are used in combination simply because they work better together. They have a stronger effect in terms of preventing or uh, lessening the effects of SARS-CoV-2. Melatonin, the slow-release version, is something else that you can use. It's used to help sleep. You might have used it for that. Uh, You begin with 0.3 milligrams of that, and uh, that's something that you might increase. You can go up to 2 milligrams at night. They want you to take it at night, of course, because it may make you drowsy. Zinc, of course, I've talked about that many times. 220 milligrams of zinc sulfate. Zinc sulfate is fine. And I think it was the lack of zinc in the research studies on hydroxychloroquine that caused the failure to show much beneficial effects. Now, that's just an opinion on my part. The hydroxychloroquine was there to help the zinc, not because it's effective by itself. It was just to potentiate the effects of the zinc, to make the effects of the zinc stronger. That's what was actually helping. So honestly, this shows how scientists can manipulate studies to show what they wanted to show. Sometimes they have their own agenda. They're human beings and they have their own opinions. So just be aware of that. B-complex vitamins, especially B12, I think this is a good idea in general for the immune system. The folks at Eastern Virginia Medical School included in their recommendations against COVID. So it's actually a licensed institution that does recommend it. Of course, uh, if you can get your doctor to prescribe things like ivermectin, let's say you're at high risk for getting exposed but not sick, The standard dose is about 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. A kilogram is about 2.2 pounds. You take it immediately, then three days later, then weekly for 10 weeks, and then followed by every other week dosages. This is also in the Eastern Virginia Medical School protocol, especially for folks who are over 60 with heart disease, diabetes, and other 
kinds of medical problems. There's not enough data in on famotidine, which is pepsid, and that may reduce disease severity and mortality. However, the findings of some studies just haven't panned out as of yet. We don't have the hard data as of yet. So if you have, well, if you have acid reflux and you are at risk for COVID, pepsid might actually be a reasonable option. So we'll just have to see. By the way, Amy had to take a call. I see that she forgot to shut the door. And so you may have been hearing what sounded like an absolutely crazy lunatic in the background. That was our pet African gray parrot, TD. We've had that bird for 33 years. And he isn't any, or she isn't any crazier today than she was when we got her. Well, that's about all we have for this episode of the Survival Medicine Podcast. This is Joe Walton, MD. Thank you for listening in. And we hope that you'll listen in in the future. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.